Yeah, you've nailed it. I mean, that's one of our biggest issues is how to, how to create an environment that feels expansive and, and is expansive for the animals that need it. And, and then how to get people close up encounters and experiences with that. It, it, was, it was rough. Um, so 125-year-old zoo, uh, never been closed for more than a few days, maybe a week at most. Three months we were closed. So $15 million in earned revenue, gone. This is the Proco 360 Podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting Proco 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs. My guests have built very successful businesses with team members and collaborators who also love all that Colorado has to offer. And each year I feature the leaders of a couple of nonprofit organizations that I love and that exemplify Colorado's entrepreneurial spirit. And today's episode is with Bert Vescolani, president and CEO of the Denver Zoo. The zoo is a big deal. It's a $34 million operation, hundreds of employees and volunteers, thousands of animals. The zoo certainly had challenges during COVID and it's had a remarkable rebound. I've always been curious about the operational side of running a zoo. So I've been looking forward to today. Bert, glad you could join Proco 360. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share what we're doing. It's a, it's a cool place, as you said. People love Denver Zoo. Well, I love the zoo as well. Uh, let's start with a quick overview yeah. you know, of your mission and sort of the scale of the operation. Yeah, we're we're 80-acre site. Uh, we're right adjacent to uh, City Park. And and that is awesome because we're we're close to the communities that that really visit the zoo. Um, we've got a bunch of animals. Uh, you know, it's uh, twenty five hundred to three thousand animals, and and they're a challenge. We've got huh. big stuff and little stuff and stuff that most people wouldn't even know about and and be aware of. Uh, it's a twenty four seven operation. Uh, as you said, we're. We're actually north of 34 million now. Mm. We're, um, we're we have bigger budgets and and doing uh, some really exciting things. And our mission, really, I mean, what it's all about is finding a way to get people excited about wildlife and care about it. In in a nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. We want to build a world where wildlife thrives. That yeah. that at the end of the day is is what we're passionate about and what we spend every day on. Cool. Well, I'm going to come back and ask you some more questions about that. First, I mean. As a kid, did you ever say to yourself, hey, when I grow up, I want to have my very own zoo? I mean, was this something you really wanted to do? Absolutely not. (laughs) No idea that was even a career. Really? I mean, when Um, I was a kid, I used to hop the fence. There was a zoo across the school, across the street from the school. I I used to hop the fence every every afternoon, just kind of watch the monkeys and sit there. It was cool, although it was illegal. Well, you know, there's a Dr. Seuss (laughs) book called If I Ran a Zoo. Yeah. And um, when I I started my career at Shedd Aquarium, before that I was an educator and and uh, and someone, when I started running a, a small zoo, someone reached out to me and said, hey, you got to read this book. And I never read it as a kid. Huh. And so I was reading it as an adult. And I'm thinking, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I think as a kid, I was just an explorer. I, I was someone who was trying to figure out how things worked. I wanted to understand the natural world, so I spent a lot of times outside and a lot of, a lot of my energy was... You know, the classic in my age group anyway, you know, when the lights come on uh, or when lights go on outside, that's the time to come home. Yeah. Well, I would push that to the uh-huh. limit every single day. Well, you know, let's talk about, I, I, you talked about your mission being getting people excited about wildlife. Mm-hmm. And yet most people, when they think of the zoo, they really think entertainment. 
Mm-hmm. They don't really think conservation. So how do you think about that? Yeah, no. We, so look, we, we want people to have fun and we want them to enjoy being out with their families and spending time with whomever they're with. And, and that's a really important part of the zoo experience. We know that. And so the entertainment factor is absolutely there. It's not an either or. It's, it's complementing that, that fun, exciting, neat, crazy time with your families or whatever, enjoying outdoors, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then helping that, that great experience parlay into, hey, here are the issues that are out there, not in a negative way, but here's some really good stories about what we're doing, Denver Zoo's doing in the wild, like what we're doing in all these places that we work internationally, yeah. but also here in Colorado and right here at Denver Zoo. And what's that look like? And, and how do we help you connect better with those animals? So is there a tension? And by the way, before you got here, uh, our engineer Tyler was saying he just was at the zoo with his niece and he goes, that's where they go for her to have what he called peak fun. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's what we want. Peak fun. Yeah. (laughs) Every single day. So just kind of out of curiosity, I got a bunch of curious questions that find their way throughout this. But one of them is, how do you balance the decisions about like which animals you have relative to like this mission of conservation versus the idea that, you know, kids walk in and they just want to go see the lions? Yeah. And, and that's great. I mean, we do. We want them, especially little ones, they, they don't know what's going on in the world. And when they get a little bit older, they do. And they're, and they're asking great questions. Elementary school age kids are asking questions now that are way more sophisticated than, than they did 20 years ago. Um, so we, we try to plan experiences that are great for the animals first and foremost. Uh, that that's our priority. So you want good looking kids. We want good looking kids. <laughs> Maybe and appetizing kids. Yeah, <laughs> we want we want to try to provide the um, experiences for our animals that are as natural as we can make it with their natural history. Yeah. We they know they're not in Africa, right? They know they're not in India, <laughs> and but they don't need to be there to to live out their life in a in a positive, great way. So the animal welfare and wellness yeah. part of what we do is first and foremost. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that a little bit too and all these questions I have. First though, I mean, everybody knows COVID was rough. I mean, it meant shutting the zoo to visitors. Um, and then even when you opened up running well below capacity, that has to be tougher for like the Denver Zoo than a lot of other organizations from a financial perspective. I mean, your fixed costs are crazy. The maintenance facilities, the animals, the food, the staff. I mean, there's, you know, and zero guest revenue, right? I mean, yeah. how did you deal with all that? Yeah, I mean, I think the donor community um, was one, one way that really helped. And then our community reached out to us and said, hey, you're important to us. Um, what, what can we do to help? Yeah. Um, we made some really tough financial decisions. It's a business. Yeah, and yeah. We, we've got to run it like a business. It, it says nonprofit, but it doesn't yeah. mean that you're not taking those revenues over expenses and reinvesting them. So that is our goal always is to have revenues over expenses that we can put back into the organization, sure. our conservation work, our education work, our facilities, and so on. So it was tough. Um, yeah, but I mean, I heard stories of like, you know, we're, how are we going to get the money to like buy meat, to buy, you know, all the stuff that's needed for the, for the animals and the care. I mean, it just sounded, uh, in fact, my wife and I hadn't been to the zoo for years. Our kids are grown and we, we joined just because it feel, felt like like you needed help. Yeah, and we did. It, it was it was rough. Um, so 125 year old zoo uh, never been closed for more than a few days, maybe a week at most. Three months we were closed. Mm-hmm. So 15 million dollars in earned revenue gone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and how do you how do you repurpose the zoo and rethink the zoo? Is Keep, that what it was? Fifteen million dollars you yeah. didn't bring in that you would have normally brought in during that time. Yep. Ooh, that stinks. So it was rough, and and that's not counting capital projects and other things that we we that had to suspend committed. and and some we had to commit yeah. and, and do, and others we suspended just because we couldn't do it. So thinking about running the organization, feeding the animals, caring for the animals, people were scared about COVID. People were nervous about everything. I mean, there was so much information and misinformation out there about COVID and the rules were changing daily. Yeah. You know, mask inside, mask outside, mask Well, now sometimes. you're talking about the guests, right? Yeah, but even with our staff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, we didn't know, we hmm. knew that some animals had the risk. Oh, really? Um, but we didn't know the magnitude. There were yeah. rumors and, and, and is, yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's well, absolutely true. Well, before we get into some more, I want to remind listeners, this is ProCo360 named Best Colorado Business Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I have a special guest today, Bert Viscalani, president and CEO of the Denver Zoo. Thanks to our sponsors, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, and Digital Frontier Printing. So uh, it sounds like COVID was rough. Is there some something you learned through that experience that you think now that COVID, well, it's not over, but you know, we're getting back to yeah. back to normal. Is there something that you a decision that you made then that you think is going to continue forward? Well, we have. We we kept time ticketing. When we reopened, um, we really wanted to space people out and and make take some pressure off of our public spaces. Hmm. Um, and and you can do that by regulating people throughout sure. the day. It also helps with parking. Our, what was hmm. arguably our biggest complaint before COVID yeah. now isn't a complaint at all because of time ticketing. Because of time huh. ticketing, so that was helpful. Um, we changed flow for a while. So it was a one directional flow. And I I didn't hear great things about that all the time. You know, it was love it or hate it. So our members didn't love it because Mm -hmm. they had their path and people who never visited the zoo before loved it because they, they saw everything that they were quote supposed to see. So, um, you know, that's kind of the, our business. You can't, you know, (laughs) do it the right thing for everyone. We try to, and we listen, we listen a lot. So, in that regard, um, I think that was an important thing that we kept. I think yeah. it was smart for us to be really thoughtful about expense management and controls and thoughtfulness and purchase and what it was going to take in, in both financial resources, but yeah, human yeah. resources. Yeah. Do you think, do you think those, those kinds of principles that you, that you adapted to, are those going to stick around? Yeah. I, I, I think our whole team is aware yeah where maybe the executive team or our CFO or yeah. myself were aware, it's a much broader awareness in the organization. We became very transparent with all our financials. Not that we weren't before, yeah. but we forced it. Yeah. Here's yeah. where we are. Here's what's happening. Here's how our expense management's happening. Yeah. Here are the decisions and why we're making decisions. Um, we had just rolled out a strategic plan. So we, we kind of had to rethink that. Was it, was this still okay? The principles of the plan were great. The tactics were different. Well, yeah, you don't have the revenue to support it. So that's interesting. Um, so aside from COVID getting, hopefully getting back to normal times, I mean, there are similarities in running most organizations, Mm -hmm. leadership, financial management, cost control. When you think about all that, what, what do you think is more challenging about running a zoo than other organizations. Yeah, the animals. Um, <laughs> and I'm not talking the human animals. I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the animals that we care for. Yeah, but in what way? Well, they, you know, 
look, you can't, it, it's not like you can close a factory or you can uh, up your production line or, or redu- reduce your production line. I was involved with a brewery and it was always about procurement and hops and trying to figure out how much um, we can produce and, and, and what the volume is and what the seasonality is and so on. Those exist with us as well. But the animals, um, they tell you what they want. And sometimes they don't, and you have to figure it out, or you have to respond quickly. But it also means you can't, like, there's a certain amount of your business operations that you can't adapt. Like in a brewery, if, you know, if something bad happened and they ran out of hops, right. they could stop if they had to. You can never stop, is what you're saying. Correct. We we are entrusted with the care of these animals. Yeah. Um, and and that is a huge responsibility and we, we don't take that lightly. So when we were going through all of our cost-cutting procedures and so on and so forth, the animal care side never yeah, wavered. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that was that was first and foremost the most important sure. thing. It's also the most expensive thing that we yeah. and And so we had to figure out all those other pieces and elements to do that. Well, it's a 24-7 operation, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, we're never, you know, Jake or I or any of our team could get a call at two, three in the morning and- that's that's what happens in our world. Yeah, the lights don't go out and the animals all go to sleep and that's the end of it, right? No. Correct. So, um, well, we all know the, the old term, management by walking around. So when you walk around the zoo, you know, what do you look like? What do you look at? What do you observe that says things are going well, things aren't going so well? There must be like a litmus test or something. Yeah, it, it's and I'm a huge fan of that. And our team would tell you that. I, I like to get out and see what's going on. I like to interact with our guests and see what they love, what they don't love. I listen a lot. I watch a lot. Um, and so where are the animals and what's going on with the animals? Mm-hmm. How are our pathways? Are our food and gift opportunities open and ready and staffed? And do they have enough of the things that they're supposed to have? Yeah. Um, where are our educators? Are they out on grounds? Are they providing opportunities? What are the trash cans like? Yeah. What are the, um, are the bathrooms clean? I mean, mm-hmm. I literally look yeah, at yeah, all yeah. of that when so, I walk around. Do you walk around every day, most days, some days? Yeah, I think, you know, I was really, really good um, pre-COVID. Uh-huh. And then when we closed, when I was allowed to go back to work uh-huh. after everything was shut down, um, I was out a lot just checking on the animals and yeah, seeing yeah. What, what things were happening. And I get out a lot. Like last summer, I was out every single day. Mm. And I try to interact with guests. Um, do you tell them who you are? No. Yeah. Um, I do wear a name uh, tag. So it has a zoo. You, they know you're with the zoo. They do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not creepy. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, stalking kids and yeah. things like that. But I really love kids and yeah. I love that engagement sure. and that opportunity. And I learned so much through that. So, you know, as you think about it too, you mentioned that this is a business, uh, a nonprofit, but it's a business. I, I speak with entrepreneurs all the time on, on Proco 360. What aspect of the Denver Zoo do you feel like feels most entrepreneurial to you? Mm. Well, I, I would say there's several parts. I, I think, of course, some of our business strategies around events and activities and evening yeah. things and so on have to be creative and entrepreneurial. Um, our strategies around um, kind of internal management systems and processes and how we make decisions mm-hmm. and what we do has gotten more sophisticated. But I would say our conservation work is really pushing the edge. And what I mean by that is that I'll give you a really quick example. So we work with these Takan Snub Nose Monkeys, which are in Vietnam. 
they're, the issue with these animals, they're, they're declining population. And the reason was habitat loss was the primary source. But why was the habitat loss? Was it housing going up or shopping malls? No, it was just people cutting down trees to feed their stoves so that they can yeah, feed their yeah, families. Yeah. And so you're not going to take that away. So how do we think creatively and using optimal, um, you know, unique strategies to find things out? So we help design and build a nonprofit in Vietnam hmm. that builds stoves that use less wood, highly efficient, safer, hmm. and easier on the forest. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, your populations wow. of those animals start coming up. That's that's a good example. Um, I want to switch gears because I'm going to, in one of your videos, you said you wanted to address the elephant in the room. You're standing in front of an elephant. Very cute. Uh, my, I'm just going to lay it up. My wife feels sorry for the animals in the zoo. And- it does seem that enclosures have come a long way from those small barred cells where those poor cats would pace back and forth. Them, right. You know, it was gut-wrenching. So, you know, talk about the evolution of, of enclosures and the experience that animals have now. Yeah, I think we've learned so much over time, more and more about the animals every day and, and as we interact with them. Um, there was a whole safety thing around the early enclosures, safe for the animals and safe for the humans. And they were... Uh, postage stamp collections of this animal and this yeah, animal yeah, and this yeah. animal. Our community doesn't ask for that anymore. They don't want that anymore. Yeah. And our animal care staff and our team, that's not optimal for us. We have some holdovers and some of them are because these animals are allergic to everything and you have mm. to sanitize literally their their environment. Mm. Um, and and that, you know, that always feels weird, right? But I will tell you, um, if you met our animal care team, and you spent time understanding their appreciation of the animals that they work with and how much they love them. And I do not use that word, mm -hmm. you know, flippantly. Yeah, yeah. They love those animals. They're crushed when something's happening to that animal. They're, they're emotional in ways that um, is like a family pet that you've had for 15 years, right? And so that connection is really clear with them. And, and, and they manage them in that regard. Yeah. And then there's the whole training, the enrichment side, the veterinary procedures um, that we put in place that are all choice. It, yeah. it, it's not forced. And, and that's really, really important for people to understand. Well, I always wonder too, like now the exhibits are so beautiful. It looks like, you know, the African tundra or not tundra, mm -hmm. African, uh, what, what word am I? Savannah. Savannah. Yeah. Thank you. Tundra would be a little farther north. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we see the African savannah and all. Is there a trade-off between like how close visitors want to get close enough to really yeah. see and feel excited? And if, you know, a zebra is like a quarter mile away, it's just not that much fun. So right. how do you like, how do you think about that? Yeah, you've nailed it. I mean, that's one of our biggest issues is how to, how to create an environment that feels expansive and, and is expansive for the animals that need it. And, and then how to get people close up encounters or experiences with that. And it's a challenge. So some of you do it with sight lines and, you know, and um, uh, what, we, what you would call like your basic landscape architecture where you would hide hide things by berms or trees mm -hmm. or bushes or whatever and, and allow the animals to find different parts of their environment at different parts of the day. So you were talking about lions. That is a unique exhibit because we rotate animals through that space. So lions could be in one space one day, hyenas could be in there the next day, huh. wild dogs could be in there the following day. 
and that allows them to have the natural scent marking, the, the, the curious nature of a new exhibit or a new experience, and it becomes novel. And those novel experiences help keep those, you know, those brain cells functioning. Does it keep them healthier, you think? Yeah, absolutely. Huh. And, and happier. I mean, we, we have no problem using the term happy at the zoo. Mm. We want our ha- animals to be happy. And, and you know that by the way they behave, the way they um, do their natural behaviors um, uh, day in and day out. Hmm. All right. Switching gears again um, to funding, because I found the model, the funding model kind of interesting. I mean, you have 27% of your money comes from the Scientific and Cultural Funds District. We know it is SCFD. Uh, 18% from contributors. 32% is from what I would consider sort of the product, which is visiting the zoo. And that's between memberships and, and individual things. But that's only a third of your revenue. And that's a huge contrast even to other family attractions like an amusement park or something. So, right. you know, um, first of all, why do you think it is that? Yeah, those numbers have changed a little bit over time. Have they? Mm-hmm. And we're – so last year, let's say we were at 41 42%, I think, was the number of earned revenue that mm. came through the gate. Yeah. So it changes. It fluctuates a little bit. And the reason that is is when we compressed our attendance and we had less people coming through the zoo, we have less earned revenue coming in. So the so in a percentage way, the, the percentages all get kind yeah, of yeah, screwed yeah. up in that mm-hmm. way. Um, the I will tell you um, – if, if we didn't have guests, we wouldn't have a zoo. Yeah. And if we didn't have donors, we wouldn't have a zoo. If we didn't have the support through tax support from SCFD, yeah. it would be really hard to maintain a zoo. So each of those play a part. And, and the more portfolio funding or revenue sources you can have, the safer you are. Sure. And, and so I've worked at places where it's been 85% um, guest revenue, and I've worked at places where it's been 85% government revenue. Mm-hmm. And, and either one's probably... It's not good. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not good because the resiliency of the organization depends on those opportunities. And and so we're always constantly thinking about new ways of thinking about revenue sources mm-hmm. and what percentages can grow and, and change. Well, the, my favorite new revenue source for you, I'm going to talk about in a minute. First, I want, want to say again, I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Bert Vescalani, president and CEO of the Denver Zoo. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And... Um, yeah, my favorite. Well, I'm listen. I'm, I'm going to wait just a second to tell you what my favorite source of revenue is. But this is one of my biggest curiosities, which is only six percent of your revenue comes from concessions. Mm. People walk around all summer long; they're hot. You know, is it just the audience or what? I mean, I would have expected. Well, you probably don't sell that much beer, but what's that yeah. about? Well, we do. It's um, <laughs> you got to remember that we also have a lot of free attendance. Um, so we we've got a lot of folks coming in and that are not there to, to buy beer or a gift or whatever. Um, and those, um, those changes happen also every year. So like per capita spending last year for food and gift was way up. Hmm. Uh, in 2020, after we opened, people were utilizing our restaurants, utilizing hmm. our gift shop and doing that. So again, the numbers of percentages yeah. can fluctuate quite a bit. Um, I would say we do a really good job of it and it gets better every year. Yeah. We, we just, um, brought in a new gift shop vendor, uh, that we've got a partnership with and, 
If you haven't been to our gift shop yet, um, since it's transitioned in January, you should come because it's it's great. Um, our event business in the evening, corporate events, so yeah, on and so I've forth. Yeah, I've been to one. It was really fun. Oh, and it's just growing. We we had our banner year last mm. year, one of our best years ever. Makes so, sense. So it just, you know, we, we have to watch the trends and see where things are going and, and try to mobilize. Nonprofits move slower than for profits. Yeah. They just yeah. do. And, and so we're trying to get better at that and figure out uh, systems and processes. I would say we've, we at Denver Zoo move faster than other places mm-hmm. I've worked, yeah. but not as fast as some. You and, know, one, one idea I had, you know, when you go to Disneyland, whenever you exit a ride, you must go through the gift shop. Man, <laughs> maybe that, maybe that forced exposure, but my favorite, uh, my favorite source of revenue that I didn't know you even did was this uh, very small percentage, but probably growing uh, in the learning experiences category where you can spend 150 or 200 bucks to have you and your five best friends go up close with a sloth, a giraffe. I mean, how is that? That just sounds like fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, so we use our ambassador animals, animals that typically have been hand raised. They're, um, they're animals that are used to humans and work with humans in a really good way. They've got wild in them still, but mm-hmm but they're probably more closer to domestication than, than wild. Um, but they're amazing animals. A sloth is about as cool as it mm. gets, and they're super popular right now for yeah. a whole lot of reasons. Yeah, I noticed it's like all the time slots are like sold out. I know. It's like, that's it's, cool. Yeah, it's great. And those those dollars come in to support our conservation work. Sure. And, you know, as I said, we're working in Mongolia and Peru and Vietnam, and we'll be working again in Africa and you know, uh, these places are special places with working with special animals, but we do, we've got a lot of projects right here in Colorado in our own backyard with pika and bison and mm. bighorn sheep and little toads called burial toads. And, um, and that, those, those resources, those revenues, all of our revenues over our expenses go right back into the organization. Cool. Now I've got five questions that are just curious yeah. for me. I'll so see if I can away. answer. Them. All right. <laughs> What's the most expensive animal to keep? Ooh, great question. I would say probably our elephants. Just because um, they eat so much? Yeah. The volume of food, the size of the space, the amount of, if the food comes in, it also goes out. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of work there. Um, uh, and, you know, they're just big. Yeah. What's the hardest to keep healthy? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I would say. Um, boy, that's a tough one. I have to come back to that one. All right. I, I, the, the more, um, the more, uh, specific their environment is, the more environmental controls that they have, the more risk there is. So what right? kind of animals? So are an they? animal in a water, an animal in a very tight climate control, either too cold, like too warm, and whatever. Snakes and frogs. Yeah, and... snakes and frogs are pretty easy. Are Some they? of the yeah, frogs yeah. are less easy, but- Snakes are pretty resilient. So I mean, you they're, let they're kids pretty take tough. one home for the weekend. And... Yeah, not advising. Parents <laughs> would kill me. Parents would kill me. Yeah. Um, what animals at the zoo do you think have sort of the best, maybe in quotes, most realistic life? Hmm. Well, I would say probably, um, you know, it's it's a pretty decent life for uh, for animals at the zoo. They get three squares a day. They have veterinary care. They out typically outlive their their um, their you know their the species that would be in the wild by uh-huh. a lot, um, and I would say uh, oh that's really a tough one. Probably our lion exhibit is is as close just because we move the animals around quite a bit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, there's just so many. Um, yeah. Our primate exhibits, our our uh, in our tropical discovery space. Yeah, you know yeah. that. Well, those are mesmerizing. You just sit there for an hour and look yeah. and just watch them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's and it's it's a little bit about what they need and what we provide. Mm-hmm. And so we take their needs and we try to provide far more than that. Mm. And and what's that look like? And how yeah. does that work? And the stimulus. And- yeah, variability and and mm. you know keep them. Th- you know, thinking, if you will. Now, some are less needy of that yeah, and yeah. more, some are, our elephants, you know, require way more than that. our primates, way more. Yeah. Than have you ever been injured by an animal? I have. Ha, <laughs> um, let's hear about that. A long, long time ago. Um, I had, I was working at another organization that had animals with, um, that live in water with teeth. And I had a little tiny, um, shark bite. Huh. Um, it wasn't, I, I could make it sound like it was a bigger thing than it was, but it was not. And I was so embarrassed because it was my fault. I huh. mean, I was just, I was just not paying attention. Um, but there's a real risk there. And, and it's something that we take very, very serious. Our animals are, um, dangerous yeah. and, and many of them, and, and we don't want to endanger them and they don't want to endanger yeah, us, yeah. but they have natural behaviors that are designed that way. So what do you say to people who say, we talked about this a bit, but zoos are bad. Animals should not be put in captivity to entertain people. Yeah. Well, we're, they're not. I mean, we're, our, our animals are in um, great environments to help them have their best life possible. And, you know, most, the funny thing about zoos is, you know, I think people think we still go out and go to Africa and collect animals and bring them back. And that, that has stopped. I mean, that's not happening anymore. And, and so what we're doing is working with other zoos around the country, around the world for that matter, to make sure that we have strong populations, healthy populations, animals that do well in human care. Mm-hmm. And I'm, there's no way I'm going to convince everyone that that's a good thing. But I will just tell you this. Animals need our help. And how are we going to do that? If you don't have that appreciation, if you don't have that experience, that awe experience with an animal to hear, smell, think about animals, people are afraid of nature. Maybe not here as much in Colorado and Denver, but a lot of people don't have that exposure. You and I might have the opportunity to drive up to the mountains and see bighorn sheep, but there's a giant part of our population right here in Denver that will never have that experience and will never understand the importance of it. The balance of nature is critical. And if we don't work hard at that in getting people to feel strongly about the importance of that, um, it, it's, it's, we're, we're going to fail. Yeah. And we got animals to where they are now, and it's our job to get them back to where they should be. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think they're critical places. I wouldn't work in one if mm-hmm. I didn't feel that yeah. way. Um, so. So um, a little bit out of out of left field, the right field, but have you had to adapt the zoo to embrace sort of this affinity towards technology, particularly among kids? I mean, you must see like a kid walking through the zoo, looking at a picture of an elephant, you know, and there's like, there's a big elephant right in freaking front of you, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's funny, you know, it, it's, um, that that's, goes back to that why zoos are important. And um, zoos are important because we have the real thing. Yeah. And you can smell them, you can hear them, you can see their posture, their movements, and so on and so forth. And it's really important. We have embraced technology to a point. 
and and it's a, a it's a big debate in our industry for sure. How far do you go, and 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 what do you want to do with yeah. that? So we developed an app at the zoo that allows you to look at the animal and know the animal personally, its name, mm-hmm. its weight, mm-hmm. um, it, how, when it was born, all kinds of uh, information about you name it um, mm-hmm. for that animal, yeah. and it's connected to our internal systems. A lot of people don't know that every animal we have has a record with it, almost like a medical record, right? So everything about that animal, where it was born, who its parents were, what it eats, what its training behaviors are, what um, medical procedures it's had, um, what breeding recommendations it has, those are all managed within the zoological system. Boy, if only our, our healthcare system would digitize <laughs> that well. Yeah. Um, you know, so... A couple of last wrap-up questions. Um, the zoo, obviously, full of animals. We also have hundreds of employees and volunteers. So talk about the, kind of the, the kind of people that you look for to work at the zoo. Yeah, I think, you know, the the, the skill sets are important for certain careers and, and different things that we, we have to make sure there's a minimum require, requirement for certain roles, right? But And we have, as you said earlier, we've got CFO and, and, and people who run our computer systems and you name it, as security and so on and so forth. So there's a little bit of every job at the zoo. Um, and the passion is really important to us, that the, those behavioral characteristics that, you know, that suggest that you care about our work and what we want to do yeah. um, is really important. And and that's not something you can train for. Yeah. It's something that it's just either there or not. Well, and, and, I- and, that, and that, I would say, our animal care team and our educators, everyone would say that's obvious. But that goes to our frontline staff. Um, And we really want to make sure that they know where they're working and why they're working there. That's cool. Now, I've also had some really wonderful uh, experiences talking with your docents, the volunteers. And I heard that there's like a waiting list to be a docent. Like you can't just volunteer and be taken. It's like hard. It's competitive. Well, we we try to to make it a comprehensive process. Um, If anyone's interested, they should absolutely reach out to us because – um, the things that we've learned um, with COVID, especially with a, a group of older volunteers, is they had discomfort in coming back, mm-hmm. right? They just mm-hmm. weren't ready for it yet. And and we had some retirees that were, were just saying, hey, I'm moving, right? Yeah, like yeah, everyone yeah. else. So, yeah. so we're always looking for volunteers. We're really looking for those volunteers who um, have that passion and excitement. Yeah. We I just did our volunteer, we do a um, kind of awards bars and how many hours and so on and so forth. And we, we just had someone who was 40 years, hmm. 40, 43 years at, at Denver Zoo as a volunteer. Wow. I mean, imagine that, right? That's like cool. most people don't do careers that long, let yeah. alone volunteer. Yeah. And they're special people. And that's how I started in this career and hmm. um, was a volunteer. Cool. Uh, last question. I mean, the zoo's landlocked. Um, you still need to continue to adapt. You need to continue to grow in some way, but you're landlocked. I mean, so what, what, how do you do that? And what plans are you most excited about? Yeah, well, we're, we're constantly um, redeveloping and redesigning exhibit spaces. And we just did penguins last year and, and renovated kind of an old, we took an old space that was used for a certain animal group, renovated that space. And it works really, really well for penguins. So what's that cost? Uh, a million five to wow. two million. There's nothing, yeah, yeah. Y- you can't do a project at the zoo for <laughs> under $2 million. It just, wow. it, it's really tough. We're doing flamingos. We'll open in, in the fall. Um, it'll be a great new experience for flamingos. You'll be able to get close to them. It'll be a great ex- experience for them. They'll have a longer um, period of time that they can be out 
Um, flamingos are, especially Andean uh, flamingos, can spend some pretty cold winters um, outside, and, mm. and that's great. Um, and then we've got about four or five other big projects coming um, that I'd be happy to share at another time. Okay, well, at another time because you're not announcing them yet? That's exactly right. Wow, <laughs> but yet you have to raise money for it, right? We do. How much money do you have to raise for these uh, yet-to-be-announced projects? Yeah, there's— uh, Hey, I've got listeners. Yeah, yes. it's— <laughs> Yeah, look, we, we've got a, um, a very quiet effort going on right now to, to raise about $50 million. And, uh, um, that's a big number. Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. We're making progress and, um, and feel good about where we are. Um, that's great. And there's some exciting things on the horizon. Cool. Well, let's wrap up on that note. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and today on ProCo 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Bert Vescolani, president and CEO of the Denver Zoo. Bert, thanks. Dave, thank you so much for having us. And people can always reach out to us via our website, denverzoo.org. Good. And I, I was so I was so happy to do this. As I mentioned earlier, I was such a fan of the zoo as a kid, took our, took our family, and oh, it's just, it's a great thing. So, hey, thank you so much. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors, Kinsley Meetings, Digital Frontier Printing, and Via Technologies. Tyler, our engineer, thank you. Jake from the zoo, thanks for being here and coordinating it. And uh, that's the show, Live, Work, Love, Colorado.